0: Hey there, friends. I am so happy to have you back for another episode of Just the Zoo of Us. This week, I'm joined by the naturalist and science communicator behind the Science of Birds podcast. He's here to drop some knowledge about the common loon, including but not limited to why they got stuck with such a rude name, how they've managed to master both water and air, and the hidden meanings behind those ethereal and slightly spooky songs in the night. So stick around afterwards for announcements, plugs, and a sneak peek at next week's episode. So without further ado, Just the Zoo of Us presents The Common Loon with Ivan Philipson. this is ellen weatherford i'm here with just the zoo of us this is your favorite animal review podcast and this week we do have a new friend to speak to this week this is ivan And say hi ivan hi ivan <laughs> you know what i i think you might be the first person to do that
1: actually <laughs> oh cool okay i figured it was like a super old joke that everybody did but it just seemed like the thing to do so anyway yeah hi ellen hi everyone <laughs>
0: It's so good to hear from you. I found you through your podcast, The Science of Birds. Can you introduce yourself a little bit for our listeners that might be new to you?
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, Again, Ivan Philipson. I am the host and creator of The Science of Birds podcast. That is something that I'm very passionate about and spend a lot of time doing these days. Uh, It's been about only about a year. I'm 30 plus episodes in. It's the science of birds. So it's focused on ornithology and biology, but you know, kind of like your podcast um, has a lighter tone. And, you know, I try to have a more casual approach, um, even though it does dig kind of deep into the topics, uh, you know, either individual bird families or species or just general topics in ornithology. So we, I have a lot of fun doing that. Um, I also am a co-owner of a small tour business. I take groups of folks to various places around the world to do bird watching tours, uh, nature tours, that sort of thing. And uh, that's a super fun gig. Finally getting back to doing it. We just went to Iceland and Alaska this summer. That that was really amazing. Um, Heading to Mexico pretty soon. So that that keeps me busy as well. And uh, before all of that, I was in academia. I'm a biologist by training. Got a master's in biology, PhD in zoology and all that fun stuff. Was in school for way too many years. And uh, (laughs) then I just, you know, made a big shift into this world of being a a guide and an educator. And I absolutely love it. It's totally a blast.
0: You have carved out a lot of opportunities for yourself to like really share The passion and the knowledge right like i think that's something that gets discussed a lot with academia is how like knowledge stays locked in academia so you're like getting out there and sharing it with people and making sure that that knowledge actually gets out there to like you know randos like me
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i i I agree um you know academia is wonderful there's so much valuable work being done and i enjoyed my time there but what i realized eventually was i felt like my own gifts were in translating kind of the ivory tower challenging topics into something that randos can understand
0: (laughs) yeah there's a lot of value in that and i bet you get to have a lot of really amazing experiences like taking people out into nature to see things that they've probably never seen before
1: oh absolutely i mean that's one of the joys of what i do is standing beside somebody you know, seeing something amazing for the first time, whether it's a bird or a whale or, you know, some cool mammal in Africa. And the person sometimes is literally crying because they're so happy and so, you know, in awe of what they're seeing. And maybe I've seen that same thing a million times, or maybe it's my first time too. And so I'm sharing in that experience with them and it's, it's fantastic.
0: So along that line, how did you develop a focus on birds? Like how did birds become the thing that you decided to focus on with your podcast and things like that? Like how did birds find their way into your heart?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now, that's an interesting question because, you know, as a kid, I was always into nature, always into animals, like just crazy about critters. And I was always reading books about stuff, but it was the early focus, and for most of my life, was on reptiles and amphibians, actually. So that was kind of my my jam. And I went through grad school studying frogs and and doing population genetics and evolutionary biology with amphibians. And then I did some work following that with uh, some more creepy crawlies with aquatic insects. But along that way, along that sort of academic journey in my free time, I was getting more and more interested in birds, you know, with friends and things going out birding. I did take an ornithology class that really helped a lot when I was an undergraduate. When I did the switch to being a guide, I was doing local tours in the Portland, Oregon area where I live. And I was just doing these kind of hiking tours, but that were also focused on nature. And, you know, it just became more and more obvious to me that if you like animals and you want to go out and find animals, well, the animals you're most likely to see are birds. You know, the most charismatic critters you can find easily are birds. I mean, you can try to go find a snake or a frog or a, some kind of mammal, but good luck. You know, whereas birds are, they're always, they're always out there. They're everywhere. You know, they're in your backyard. They're in parking lots. They're, they're everywhere. So I'm
0: looking at a bird right now.
1: <laughs> see, yeah, there you go, <laughs> I'm know, at right? my
0: computer and my, my window's right next to me. I'm looking at a bird. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. Right. I could do the same, look out my back window. And so... I don't know. It just kind of was this natural evolution for me. And I've just kind of gotten more and more immersed in it. And there's so much enthusiasm in the public about birds as well. So I, I really enjoy that. And birds are, because they're so common and so interesting, they're a great sort of doorway into nature, right? You, you, you can teach people about ornithology, but those topics typically overlap with all kinds of other animals and biological topics, right? So let's say you're talking about evolution, you could be talking about a bird, but those concepts are much more universal. So I find birds are just perfect for that and they're just a delight.
0: They're the gateway animal, <laughs>
1: the exactly.
0: ambassador that gets you into like, they're like, mm, don't you want to check out birds? Could I possibly interest you in the rest of the animal kingdom?
1: Exactly. Oh, you like birds, do you? Well,
0: can I interest you in some reptiles? Perhaps? Yeah,
1: yeah. how about some reptiles? They're they're almost like birds.
0: I know. It's like they're like right next to each other on the little uh, tree of life, right? It's not a far jump from reptiles exactly. to birds.
1: Well, <laughs> speaking of that, and that's the other thing that I think kind of put me over the edge with birds was once it became very obvious that birds are dinosaurs, right? In my lifetime, that's been a um, paradigm shift, right? Since the 80s, we've really come to appreciate these are little theropod dinosaurs running around, flying around, around us all day, every day, and wow how cool is that and so you know yeah you're a birder you're somebody who's interested in birds but you're you're out there looking at dinosaurs so who doesn't like dinosaurs
0: for me i feel like when i especially when i see a bird that's like walking on the ground you can see that connection there right they look like a little velociraptor mm-hmm. stomping around you, you mentioned before we hit record that you have chickens and i feel like chickens <laughs> i know maybe it sounds a little silly but when you see a little chicken just bobbing their head around and like strutting all over the place i feel like i'm looking at them and i'm like mm, clever girl like i just love Love them so much. I think I feel like that's a really clear connection when you see a bird walking on the ground. You're like, ah, I see the I see the link.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And and imagine if you could, you know, sort of mentally remove all the feathers, it would be even more of a you know a dinosaur impression? Absolutely.
0: I know it's so cool. Well, since we're talking about birds today, we're gonna focus—at least try to focus. I, I always struggle with focusing, but we're gonna <laughs> try to focus on a bird that I admittedly know almost nothing about. So I'm really excited to learn about. It. This is the common loon.
1: Yes, the common loon—a very uh, charismatic and interesting bird. It's you know arguably one of the most celebrated birds in North America, after perhaps the bald eagle. Most people have heard of loons, um, as you and I were talking uh, before we recorded about We've heard of them, but maybe maybe you haven't seen one before, or you don't really know what a loon is, depending on where you're living in North America. People who live in the North tend to be more familiar with these birds. But yeah, they are fascinating. They've got a lot of interesting adaptations that we can talk about. And yeah, they're just charismatic for a couple big reasons.
0: For sure. So when I think of a loon, I'm going to describe to you exactly the mental image I have. I imagine a loon, which is this sort of like slender, long-beaked sort of bird sitting on like a, a pristine lake in the mountains with like a misty fog around it. It's like a very picturesque scene for me. I imagine them in like this big, on still waters that look like glass with the mountains towering behind them and stuff. You know, like my idea of what a loon looks like is very dramatic. Um, so like what sort, of, what sort of context would you see a loon in? Like where do they live?
1: Yeah, well, uh, I think your little vignette there that you just painted for us <laughs> is actually pretty accurate. That is what they do. They are very commonly seen on lakes, large lakes, typically with very clear water, um, either in the mountains or somewhere that is forested, right? So, in the northern latitudes of northern U.S., well up into Canada, all the way up into Alaska, uh, also in parts of northern Europe, so Iceland, Greenland, places like that. But yes, big large bodies of water. They are They are very aquatic birds that are floating around. That classic kind of misty scene is, is one that I picture myself as well. Um,
0: <laughs> it's like it's on a postcard, right?
1: <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, it's a postcard. You know, there's, I, I don't know if you ever saw it. I, I saw it when I was a kid the, on Golden Pond, this movie from the 80s. And mm. they talk about loons a lot in that movie from what I remember. And they they have, you can hear the song of the loon, which is very ethereal and very haunting.
0: I definitely want to talk about the loon's sound because that's one of the only other things I know about the loon. So at some point in this episode, we're going to talk about
1: that. <laughs> yes, let's make sure we do that. It's, it's, a, it's a key component of the bird. But, but yeah, so, so the habitat during the breeding season is what you describe, large lake in some kind of forested area, um, usually a deep lake with clear water
0: it sounds like you'd see it on like a like a stamp (laughs) yes like depicted on like one of those really dramatic stamps it's like celebrating birds
1: yeah and I, i i don't know for sure but i can almost guarantee that they've been on stamps more than once for sure both in canada and the u.s
0: another thing i wanted to ask you before we really get into like the adaptations of the loon is where does the loon fall in the bird family tree so i think of like a bird floating along the top of the water i think of ducks where do loons fall like in relation to other sort of more aquatic birds like ducks?
1: Yeah, I think that's a, a really important question. They certainly look superficially like ducks and they, you know, swim around in the water like ducks, but they are not ducks at all. Not even close.
0: Not even a little bit.
1: <laughs> not even a little bit ducks. No, it's it's an example of what we call convergent evolution, um, which I'm sure you're familiar with. It's fascinating, right? So you have animals that look similar because they have adaptations to a similar lifestyle. So, you know, classic examples being something like a dolphin and a shark, right? They have very similar body shapes because they both swim in the ocean at relatively high speeds, all that. So, a, a loon is in its own family. The family is Gaviidae, and that bird family is in its own bird order, which is Gaviiformes, and there are no other families within that order. So, it, it's kind of a, its own little branch of the bird evolutionary tree.
0: Just a rogue bird out there doing its own thing.
1: Yeah, just doing its own thing, doesn't care about anybody else, doesn't need any help. They, uh, <laughs> probably their closest relatives, if we could say this, um, I was looking at an evolutionary tree earlier, would be birds like herons, uh, storks, maybe even penguins. Those are all much closer to loons than, say, ducks.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah,
1: interesting, isn't it?
0: we're very familiar with herons. We got them out in our backyard all the time. I, there's probably one out there right now, probably a little heron out there poking around cool. right in our pond out here in Florida. But that, I, now that you say that, I can see some similarities with like the long pointy beak and that makes sense now that I actually think about it.
1: <laughs> yeah. And this happens a lot where, you know, I, I don't know for sure, but um, I suspect that at one point or another, you know, early biologists thought that loons were ducks, you know, and they w- would have been lumped together. That kind of thing happens all the time. And As ornithologists looked more closely at their anatomy, they learned a lot more about them and realized that they're unique. So, for example, one thing that would set them apart from a lot of other birds would be that they have solid bones. They do not have the hollow bones that we're very familiar with with other birds.
0: That seems like such a strange thing. Such a strange thing, right? Interesting holdout.
1: Well, what do you think, Ellen? Why do you think they might have those solid bones? Why would that be Um, advantageous?
0: I'm trying to think back. So We've talked about on the show, one of the birds that we talked about that had solid bones, I think, was the emu. Mm -hmm big ratite mm-hmm. doesn't need to fly doesn't need the hollow bones no need right. and the other one was the emperor penguin mm-hmm. that had the solid bones because don't need to fly not that big a deal mm-hmm. it's okay if you're heavy and i think it was for cold weather right wasn't it so that they wouldn't freeze was that it
1: oh that's interesting you know um i haven't heard that i wouldn't i mean that's that's possible um my understanding is it has more to do with diving right so that would make sense oh. with the the emperor penguin as well as the loon, you know, buoyancy is an issue, right? You, buoyancy is great for floating around on the surface, but when you're swimming around underwater, you either want to be neutrally buoyant or even a little bit negatively buoyant. So the, the solid bones helps with that. But interestingly, the loon still has to fly unlike the penguin, so there's a, a bit of a trade-off there.
0: That is challenging for the loon. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's interesting.
0: That is a great opportunity to get into our ratings for this animal because that is our our gimmick on this podcast. (laughs) We, We review animals and rate them out of 10 in different categories. The first one being effectiveness, which are physical adaptations to the animal's body that let it do a good job of the things it is trying to do. What do you give the loon out of ten for effectiveness?
1: Yeah, this is interesting. Okay, so effectiveness. You know, as a biologist uh, with a background in evolutionary biology, I, I, I'm conflicted, right? Because, well, the loon is out there. They've been out there for millions of years. They're doing something right. So it seems like thriving, they're thriving, hopefully. And, and it <laughs> seems like they should get ten out of ten because obviously it's working. But I will back it off a little bit, and I'm going to give the common loon Gavia immer, that's the scientific name, a nine for effectiveness. Okay. And the reason why, there's a couple reasons. One is it's so well adapted for diving and swimming, which is great. But, and that's why it is mostly, you know, it's why it's nine, it's high, but they can't walk on land. So, you know, they can fly, they can swim, but they really are lousy at getting around on land.
0: Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, I've not seen it with my own eyes, but you know, it's sometimes these birds will accidentally land in like a parking lot because they'll mistake it for a lake. Oh. And if that bird lands, it's stranded because not only can it not walk very well. And the reason that happens is because the feet are so far back on the body. They're positioned much farther back than say a duck is because that's great for diving. It's it, They propel themselves with their feet underwater uh but they can't they can't put their feet underneath their body to support their weight so they get stranded on land and they also need a long runway to take off and typically that's from water right so being heavy bodied they have relatively small wings they need to run across the water flapping frantically over maybe a hundred feet or a quarter mile just to get into the air. So, you know, so they have some limitations. So I think that's, that's kind of why I'm like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll shave off one point there for, for, for all that.
0: That is interesting that they've kind of shifted their legs back into kind of like a, like a rudder almost.
1: Absolutely. And then that's actually kind of in part what they do because, you know, they're kicking their feet really hard underwater. They have large feet, very strong legs. Uh, but they will manipulate or maneuver their feet in ways underwater to turn quickly. You know, like a little rudder, they can stick one foot out to the side <laughs> to, to turn quickly, you know. Yeah, so they're they're wow. really agile underwater, really phenomenal divers. In fact, in Europe, that's what they're called. This species, what we call the common loon, is the great northern diver in Europe.
0: They have such a cooler name for them. <laughs> why did we call ours a loon and there's got the great northern diver that's so much cooler
1: <laughs> i know right gives it makes them sound really awesome yeah you know where that loon came from i was trying to figure that out and it seems like it came from some old english word loomy meaning something like an awkward person or a lummox oh. um <laughs> or like that's so rude <laughs> I know, right? Or like uh, there's a Scandinavian word that's similar, loom, meaning lame or clumsy. So, yeah, apparently, you know, people, instead of calling it something, you know, like Great Northern Diver and praising its uh, positive attributes here in North America, we kind of wanted to highlight the fact that it's kind of goofy as it waddles around on land.
0: They're like, no, we're just going to absolutely drag you every (laughs) single time we refer to you at all. We're just going to roast you every day.
1: Exactly.
0: (laughs) This follows a pattern that I have noticed of, like, people that give birds common names are so rude to the birds. And I've noticed this more so with birds than with any other type of animal. (laughs) They smell. Birds will have such mean names. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah,
1: I'm trying to think of an example. Do you have an example? It's like, I, I it sounds.
0: You're going to hear some click clack because I have a mechanical keyboard. Yeah, no but... worries. Literally, if you just Google rude bird names. Right. I'm
1: trying to look it up too. Yeah.
0: 10 great birds with bad names. Okay, great. <laughs> the, well, there's the booby. Right. Which we've talked about on this show the booby which like comes from an old spanish word that means like a stupid person right which that's incredibly mean <laughs> there's a twitter thread that says species of birds are my favorite species of birds are the ones named by people who clearly hate birds you've got the drab seed eater the typical swift there you go the go away bird <laughs> the sad flycatcher oh my god Yeah, so the loon deserved better, I think.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's a
0: mess. When you were talking about how they're such impressive divers, that reminds me a lot of birds that we have here in Florida um, the anhinga. They
1: call mm -hmm. them snake
0: birds. Is the loon at all like, is that a similar sort of? bird to the loon because i i'm thinking a lot of like the anhinga also like has that long a longer neck than a loon mm-hmm. but has that like long pointy beak and they have those big chunky webbed feet on the back is it at all similar
1: it's similar only because of again convergent evolution um mm-hmm. An Anhinga is more like a cormorant, which you're also probably familiar with. Um, You know, these are birds that, you know, an Anhinga or cormorant, they kind of sit low in the water like a loon. They are also really good divers, so they do have that similar lifestyle. Um, There's some overlap in their diet, but yeah, not closely related to a loon. You know, again, a loon is kind of on its own. On its own branch, there are five species of loon in the world, but that's it. You know, the, on their little branch. So
0: that's so cool. But that must be a tried and true formula, right, for it to have evolved so many different times in different birds. <laughs> Absolutely,
1: yeah. Um, you know, to have that bill shape, that kind of you know dagger-like or spear-like bill, um, have your feet positioned far back on your body. Um, thinking of grebes as well. Grebes that's a whole, another group of birds that are duck-like but that have similar adaptations, but are just totally independently evolved those adaptations.
0: Do loons have teeth? This is maybe a weird question, but do they have teeth?
1: (laughs) No, it's a good question. I mean, um, they don't, but they do have, I believe it's on their tongue. I'm trying to remember if it's on their tongue or the lining of their bill. They have these little kind of spiky projections that are not at all true teeth, right? They don't have enamel. They're not connected to the bone. They're just... um, kind of these outgrowths of the skin, but those provide some um, grip on fish, which is the primary food that these loons are eating, are fish in these lakes, um, sometimes crustaceans and things, um, because they also, you'll find these birds along the coasts in the winter when they're not breeding. The lakes are their breeding habitat, but no, so the short answer is no, they don't have to eat.
0: Okay. But that might be something that you look at it and you might mistake them for teeth, but they're not teeth. <laughs> That's interesting. Right. Yeah.
1: And there are other birds, you know, there are some ducks, for example, like mergansers that are fish eating ducks. They are true ducks, but they have these little serrations on their bills, which, you know, again, look like teeth, kind of function like that, but they're not true teeth. You know, birds uh, are, of course, our dinosaurs and they abandoned true teeth many millions of years ago.
0: I mean, if you don't need them.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, if you got to fly, yeah, swap it out. Yeah, beaks are presumably a little lighter.
0: Yeah. Oh, and to go back to the thing you were saying earlier about them having solid bones instead of hollow bones, which is like, that's mind blowing (laughs) to me. Like, does that seem to hinder their ability to fly in any way? Like, how does that play out for them?
1: Yeah. Well, interestingly, they actually are really capable flyers. They do migrate. <laughs> so as I mentioned, they, they spend the breeding season the summer up in these Northern lakes uh, in the Northern U S and Canada, Alaska, or in Northern Europe, but they fly long distances sometimes to their non-breeding or winter habitats, which are going to be off the Atlantic coast all the way down into your neck of the woods, actually in Florida. So you do have these common loons in the winter off your coast um they also go into the northern gulf of mexico off the coast of the, the pacific coast but they can fly you know hundreds of miles in a day and they've been clocked at flying 70 miles per hour so they're pretty good at flying they flap very very fast That you know again they have these kind of relatively small wings for their body size and weight um these kind of pointy wings but they flap fast and they fly just beeline in a, in a straight line they're really Really amazing to watch.
0: That's so impressive.
1: Yeah. So they can <laughs> do they it.
0: Doing it. Are they doing it just to flex on penguins? <laughs> they're like, yeah. see, we got the solid bones and we can fly. It's <laughs> not that hard. You should try it sometime.
1: Yeah. They're like, Look <laughs> at me. Remember how you used to be able to do this? Suck up.
0: <laughs> the view's nice from up here. You should mm-hmm. check it out sometime. Oh, you can't because you can't fly.
1: Do you get to the cloud district very often? Oh, what am I saying? Of course you don't. Oh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think that loons have gotten a pass on like being rude to other birds for how rudely they've been treated with their unfortunate name. I think they get a pass to be a little bit snarky.
1: Yeah, it's totally fair.
0: Is a loony the like Canadian currency? Is that a reference to the loon? I feel like I've heard that.
1: Yeah, um, I believe is not the, like the $1 coin or something. Um, I believe so. It has um, at least some of them have a loon on one side of the coin. So I'm almost certain that that's where the name of the the coin came from. I think there are also loonies that don't have a loon on the coin, but I think originally (laughs) they did. So yes, there's an absolute connection there.
0: I like the pride that they take in their loons.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's Ontario. I think it's that's the uh, provincial bird for Ontario. And it's the state bird for, I think, maybe Wisconsin, I want to say. There's at least some US states that it's the state bird. They're very appreciated in in many places, you know, in the Midwestern states around the Great Lakes, they're pretty thick around there. Native Americans revered them for, you know, thousands of years. So they're, you know, despite the name, (laughs) uh, they are People seem to like loons quite a lot.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm glad that you told me that they will be here on their migratory path because I'll have to um, see if I can track some down and go see some. If I see some in in the wild in real life, I will lose my mind. I will be so excited.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So you want to go out in the winter and look off your coast. And what you'd be looking for, you know, we maybe should talk about what these things look like a little bit, like their plumage. But um, they look different in the winter uh than they do in the summer, right? They they have this really gorgeous black and white plumage in the breeding season, right? In the summer, when we see them on the lakes. They have this black head with this kind of white um collar or necklace, this beautiful checkered pattern on the back, red eyes, almost like jewel-like crimson eyes. But if you were to go to your coast in the winter and see loons out uh, you know, in the surf or beyond, they're gonna be more of a gray bird kind of a dusty gray on the back and with a white belly so they look very different um in the winter season
0: oh that's really interesting huh i I know a lot of times birds will look very different depending on like what time of the year it is but i'll have to try to i'll try to see if i can track any down that sounds really cool yeah give it a go the last thing i wanted to ask about is like when they're doing this migration from like the lakes more like freshwater environments over into the ocean, like on the coast, what is that sort of transition like for them? Is there anything that like, I'm just thinking about how like fish, for example, sometimes will go between like a freshwater environment and a like a brackish or saltwater environment. You know, I'm just wondering like, what, what kind of effect does that have on the bird? Like going from freshwater to saltwater, like does the salt mess with them at all?
1: Interesting question. Yeah. Um, you know, physiologically, To be honest, I don't know specifics about the loon if they, for example, transition from drinking fresh water to being able to drink salt water, right? We know that quite a few marine birds drink salt water and they have these really um, amazing salt glands over their eyes that process that and they excrete the excess salt. Have you heard of that before?
0: no but that sounds really cool
1: (laughs) yeah so that things like penguins or uh, albatrosses, a lot of marine birds gulls can do this Um, so most birds if not all birds have these salt glands but birds that have access to fresh water those glands typically aren't very active and they don't do a whole lot but birds that you know have a much saltier diet or live in arid places or drink salt water they often have these really um, high functioning salt glands so whether or not the common loon Does anything special with those glands? I'm not sure. So yeah, I think you know they they may be able to access fresh water even in the winter when they're because they 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 stay close to shore. Typically, they're not like way out in the middle of the ocean. So it's possible maybe they come in and drink some fresh water. And interestingly, and I and I I think I'm right about this. I think that when (laughs) they eat fish, the water quote unquote water that's in the body of the fish is actually kind of fresh fresh ish. You know, like like you could get your water from your food because the fish they have you know, this osmotic balance in their own bodies to get rid of salt. And so if your diet is fish, then you're actually getting fresh water. I I believe that's correct.
0: That's so cool. I had never really put a lot of thought into like how birds that spend a lot of time in salt water are getting enough actual water. Um, But wow, that's really cool. Because we've got a lot of like seabirds around here. You know, we've got like seagulls and pelicans and stuff like that. Right, right. How interesting. I love that for the loon. I think that the topic of migration is a good transition into the next category that we rate animals on,
1: Mm -hmm. which is
0: Ingenuity. So behavioral adaptations to the animal that let them maybe solve problems that they're facing. Anything that might be, okay, so this is like a predatory bird that's eating fish. So maybe some sort of behaviors that let it catch its prey, behaviors that let it maybe evade other predators so it doesn't get turned into prey itself. Um, Mm -hmm. Any sort of like behavioral adaptations the loon has. What do you give the loon out of 10 for ingenuity?
1: Yeah. Okay. So for ingenuity, again,
0: <laughs> had a
1: little <laughs> trouble with this. I could easily go with 10. I might back it off a little bit to eight or nine because when I think of ingenuity, I, I was kind of thinking more like, what does this bird do that's different than what other similar birds might do or, or what's unique to the loon? Um, and I, and I, I, you know, had a little bit of hard time thinking of, of unique things, but, um, if we're just thinking of behaviors that, allow this bird to be really awesome, um, you know, I, again, maybe I'd give it a nine because it is this, you know, an amazing diver, a really capable underwater predator. They can dive, you know, typically down, you know, 30, 45 seconds, which doesn't sound like a whole lot of time, but that's plenty of time to, to catch fish. They might go down for two minutes sometimes, and very rarely they could go down for five to 15 minutes, which is pretty amazing. They can get down to 200 feet you know, again, some of these lakes are very deep or if they're, you know, offshore along the coast, they're just really uh, agile and they're doing this by, um, they're hunting their prey visually, right? So they have to see these fish and that's one reason that they, or probably the reason that they prefer clear water, both in their breeding habitats, in lakes or off the coast. They like clear water so they can actually see what they're trying to eat. Um, so they're really good, capable predators uh, for the things they like to eat. And in terms of evading other predators, well, an adult loon doesn't have too many predators um, because of the way they live. You know, they're out in the water where things like, you know, coyotes or wolves or bears probably aren't going to chase them around and they would be able to escape anyway. They tend to like to um, nest on little islands. That's one of the things they really like in their lakes, is to, for there to be islands. That's uh, their preferred breeding areas or nesting areas. But get this, the bill of this common loon is very dagger-like. If you look at a picture of it you know from the side, it looks like a spear tip or a dagger. So they use these against their rivals if they need to, or predators. In fact, in 2019, there was this kind of uh, murder mystery that occurred, and I believe it was in Maine. There was a dead bald eagle floating in a lake.
0: Oh my gosh. And
1: somebody found the bald eagle and I'm like, what the heck happened to this? Did somebody shoot it? You know, of course, because that's very illegal.
0: Yeah, you can't do that. No,
1: you can't do that. So so they got this eagle and they you know, did this necropsy and they're trying to figure out what was going on. And they, they found the eagle, but they also found a dead loon, a dead baby loon in that area. So that was another part of the crime scene was there was a, a baby loon that had been killed.
0: The plot thickens. <laughs>
1: the plot thickens. What they did was they, they examined the body of the eagle and they found this puncture wound in the chest of the eagle. Mm. And the, the heart of the eagle had been punctured. So, what they've concluded was the eagle was trying to eat a baby loon. The parents are very protective of their chicks, both male and female. And they only have, you know, usually one or two chicks at a time. They're very protective. And so, one of the loons must have come up, probably from underwater, with that dagger-like bill and just rammed it right into the heart of the eagle and killed it probably instantly. So, so that's pretty amazing, I think.
0: Stone cold revenge (laughs) immediately. That is like instant justice
1: yeah absolutely it's amazing
0: wow that's so interesting and like a bald bald eagles are huge you know like i i don't think a loon is close to the same size as a bald eagle right
1: well you know interestingly it is actually a pretty big bird there's yeah there's size variation so in some parts of their range like in the western united states um in the midwest they're kind of like a large duck or small goose size but I was in Iceland recently, where I saw common loons, and you know from a distance they okay, yeah, it's kind of duck-like. It, it you know doesn't seem like it's much bigger than a duck, but I was I went to this one place, um, this little museum where they had a stuffed loon, you know, a dead one, so you could get right up next to it, and this thing was huge. It was it was like <laughs> I was I was floored by how big this bird was, you know. It seemed like it was at least a couple feet long and very chunky, and and you know it did look very heavy-bodied. So um, I think depending on the loon. It can, you know, in terms of its basic body size, approach the size of an eagle. But even if it didn't, it's that that bill, you know, that bill is pretty long and, and robust and sharp and pointy, and that did it.
0: They stay armed. They're ready to yeah. go anytime. Yep. <laughs> Don't bring an eagle to a knife fight.
1: <laughs> nice.
0: <laughs> Another thing while we're talking about like their behavior, this is probably a good time to talk about the sound that they make. Mm-hmm. Because it's one of the things I know about loons, because I feel like I've seen so many beautiful videos of loons making this, like, it's one of the most musical sounds in nature that Mm -hmm. I've ever heard. It just sounds like, it sounds like it's being played with a
1: musical instrument.
0: Why are they doing this? (laughs) Why do they they have such a beautiful song?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say why it's beautiful uh, to our ear, but... In terms of what they're doing, um, you know, they have several different calls. And the one you're talking about is probably The Whale. Uh, This is the very haunting, ethereal song that um, Mm -hmm. probably many of us have heard of one context or another. They typically do that at night, which is, I think, kind of adds to the mystique of it.
0: Oh, yeah. I would be terrified.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes some people think it's kind of spooky. And my wife kind of, ooh, kind of a spooky sound. I'm like, no, no, it's beautiful. Oh, yeah. it's, it's it's not spooky, but, but kind of. <laughs> you know, it's in the kind of ballpark of like a wolf howl, right? Like that's also a very cool sound. But for a lot of us, it's ooh, kind of spooky too.
0: I mean, context matters, right? Like you come out of your house in the middle of the night. It's dark, <laughs> like you can't see anything. But you can hear like a very ghosty sound on the background. I feel like I would be majorly spooked.
1: Yeah, I agree. Context is very <laughs> important here. <laughs> um but they do this this basically to communicate with each other typically uh, that particular whale call is given by males and females to each other um just staying in contact because usually on one big lake during the breeding season you're going to have like one pair of these loons and they're going to just kind of always want to know where each other uh is on the lake and so they typically do that and they have some other other calls too but um but that's the really famous, beautiful one,
0: and it's so it's so iconic. It sounds so good. <laughs> like I said, where I live, I don't think you would hear this sound typically. I've no, I've certainly never heard it in the wild, but gosh, I love a good video of like a loon just singing its little heart out. It's so gorgeous. What do what do its other noises sound like?
1: Um, it has three other kind of more common sounds. Um, so that's the whale, Then there's the yodel, which is used only by the male. This is kind of, a, I mean, of course, it's hard for me to re- reproduce them, I and you can you can maybe find examples to play. There's the tremolo as well, which, um, you know, if you're familiar with musical instruments, that that kind of makes sense, tremolo. It's a little bit, this kind of wavering kind of sound that's a little bit shorter. It, it you know, has kind of a nice sound to it as well. and then there's the hoot. Um I've not heard the the hoot before. Um but yeah, so but I think you know again that iconic one is is the whale.
0: Oh, that's so good. And they're they're doing this to communicate just with other loons, like just to have a little message board going on of of them calling to each other? Yeah, but... either
1: either between a mated pair or sometimes just to loons in the area, kind of, hey, I'm over here, <laughs> this is, mm. you know, it, it's, I don't think that the whale is necessarily any kind of antagonistic thing, you know, trying to warn off other individuals, like maybe, but I think um, there's, that. I think the tremolo is more of an alarm call, for example. Um, mm. The whale is more just like a contact between mostly mates.
0: Would you expect... Loons to like get along with other loons or are they a little bit more kind of territorial like standoffish to each other? I'm thinking of like some birds that might flock together Mm -hmm. in like a big group or you know versus some other birds that are like "Eh, No, just let me have my space and you go over to your own space.
1: Yeah I think these guys are pretty territorial during the breeding season as I was mentioning You're typically going to find just one pair on a lake, and I think the reason that is is that they're going to defend that territory from other loons. You know, they all want a similar breeding habitat. You know, you're flying over. Hey, that looks like a nice lake. I got a few little islands. Hey, perfect. You know, you you fly down, and you don't want 20 other loons to show up and be crowding your space, right? So, so yeah, that they would be relatively territorial then. But in the non-breeding season, as is typical for many birds, they're going to be less territorial, and you might see. Some gatherings of loons and things, you know, off the coast, for example.
0: Oh, okay. Maybe when the pressure's off a little bit, they don't have to flex for their girlfriend. (laughs) Exactly. After talking about how, like, beautiful their sound is and how just gorgeous that that call is, the last category we rate animals on is aesthetics. Mm Mm-hmm which is straightforward. How nice is the animal to look at? What do you give the common loon out of 10 for aesthetics?
1: All right. This one to me is a no brainer. We're going to go with a three. (laughs) No, just kidding. We're going to go with, we're going to go with 10. No, no, no. (laughs) It's a, it's a, it's a clear 10. Um, so yeah, you know, the loon is, you know, as we've been talking about, this kind of iconic bird, you know, it's on stamps, it's on, coins it's you know it's in movies it's we love this bird um it's big and that black and white plumage pattern is just so crisp and bold and gorgeous and
0: smooth you know
1: Yeah. Yeah. Very, very elegant, um, smooth. And it's got, um, there's even some iridescence on the head, a little bit of, you know, kind of sometimes bluish or purple or green that just a little bit of a sheen there. The eyes are jewel-like, you know, crimson, as I was saying.
0: Is there any particular reason why they're red like that? I know of some other birds that have kind of like reddish, orangish eyes, but like what, what, what's the deal with that? Is there like a reason for that?
1: Yeah. I mean, presumably there is, uh, whether or not we know what the reason is. Um, I've heard different things. I've heard, you know, red eyes may have some function in terms of like the way light interacts with them so that like like maybe seeing underwater like it somehow it it helps with the wavelengths underwater, you know, the light wavelengths. Or, and I I I might lean more towards this as just kind of a null hypothesis, a, a simple explanation is that it's species recognition, right? Like why do these birds have these Interesting patterns because for example loons the males and females are pretty much identical, right? It's not like the males more more colorful than the female. So why have these bold patterns at all? Why not just be like completely camouflaged in your environment if there's no sexual selection The argument is that it's for species recognition. Like you could, if you're a loon and you're hanging out on a lake, well, you look all the way across the lake and you see that black and white pattern, you immediately know that it's another loon, a potential mate or a potential rival. So the red eyes, I think, you know, may just have that kind of function. Like it just helps in species recognition. Interestingly, the eyes turn gray in winter. So they actually change color throughout the year.
0: Really? Yeah. Wow.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So... I don't know if somebody has a better explanation than that, but, you know, so it may have an adaptation or an adaptive function for how they see, or it just may be species recognition.
0: It's just their uniform.
1: Yeah, it just looks good.
0: It does. It's a very successful look. It looks great.
1: We're talking about it right now. It's good.
0: Clearly, they've done it correctly Mm because it looks awesome, and we love the way that they look. A lot of birds, I think, the baby birds can kind of go either way you either get a really 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 cute baby bird with like penguins <laughs> and baby geese are super cute or you get a horrifying monster <laughs> you know what i'm talking about like a lot of baby birds are just ugly have you ever seen a baby loon are they cute
1: <laughs> yeah I, I i love the way you introduced that yeah so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and if, if, if I can just very quickly explain what's going on there is that you have, you do have these two categories, uh, in baby birds. The cute ones are what we call precocial, right? And we know the word precocious. We, we use that for little kids, right? Running around, very hyperactive. The ugly alien-like baby birds, uh, we say are altricial. The difference is the ones that are precocial are born ready to rip right they've got fuzzy down already so they're able to withstand the elements their eyes are open they're usually able to walk or to swim immediately whereas the altricial birds are the ones that are completely helpless their eyes are closed they're in a nest they're basically like a baby human they, they just somebody help me please I have mm-hmm. no skills whatsoever so <laughs> baby loons baby loons are in the precocial category which means they are very cute from day one they're very fuzzy and cute. Um, they are, they're kind of semi-precocial in that, unlike let's say, a baby chicken or grouse or something, those birds can feed themselves almost immediately, right? They can start pecking around in the dirt finding bugs. Baby loons need to be fed by their parents for for weeks before they're ready to do it on their own. So their eyes are open, they're ready to swim, but they need help finding food. So they're, but they're they're absolutely. Super cute, yes. And and here's one of the cutest things about them, and this is kind of a famous loon thing, I think you know where I'm going with this, is that within that first week or so of life, the baby loons get up on mom and dad's back, and they ride around on the parent's back, and that's helps them stay warm, and helps them stay protected, and they fall asleep on there, and they pass out, and it's just, it's so cute, for sure.
0: I for sure did not know that. And while you were describing to me what they are like, I did do a quick Google search. To look to see a baby loon, and I'm happy to confirm that yes, they're so cute. Oh my gosh, they're like a dark, <laughs> like a charcoal color, but they're super mm-hmm. fluffy, and you can see that like pointy beak is like just starting, so it's like a little baby. It's like a little, like a little switchblade, you know? Like whereas, oh, like, yeah, maybe the grown-up one has like a full-blown like sword. The little baby mm-hmm. one is just a little. <laughs> it's just a little...
1: <laughs> the adults are like that's not a knife. This is a <laughs> knife.
0: That's what it looks like and and yeah a lot of the pictures that came up are of a little baby loon riding on the parents yeah. back.
1: It's it's so cute, yeah.
0: This is revolutionary. <laughs> I love this
1: and, so much. And they 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 can't even dive yet. They're very buoyant, you know, and so they they just kind of stick their heads in the water and look around but they can't they they bob like corks, you know, they're not able to sink. And so they're just, yeah, totally help. Well, I shouldn't say totally helpless, semi helpless.
0: I will say from the perspective of someone who currently has a small baby running around in the house, I bet those parents are super glad that those babies cannot dive for themselves, right? Oh, yeah. They're probably super glad that that baby is like tethered to the surface of the water because otherwise, who knows, that thing could be long gone. They'd be off swimming around, living their own life.
1: (laughs) It'd get itself into all sorts of trouble for sure. (laughs)
0: i know that's not like a conscious decision but boy is that handy for keeping your baby uh, anchored like the opposite of anchored
1: (laughs) yeah he's just (laughs) floating like a little buoy yeah he's not going anywhere
0: oh my gosh they're so stinking cute (laughs) if you're listening to this i know this is a purely audio program so like this is doing nothing for you if you're just listening to this but do a quick google search of a baby loon because goodness these are cute They look like little geese.
1: Yeah, they are, and and it's it's, it's interesting that, to see those similarities. Um, unlike the parents, the babies, for a short period, can actually walk around a little bit on land, which I find interesting. That um, you know, they they lose that ability over time.
0: See, it's like you had it, you had it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, at some point along the way, you lost it.
1: Yeah, you could have had a ten out of ten on effectiveness. If you, why did you give up on the walking?
0: Recently, we did an episode on Watson. Um, mm-hmm. that has the little claw on the wing where the baby yes. Watsons could like climb up trees because the little claw on the wing, and it was the same thing. Like you have this really awesome tool as a baby. Why do you let it go?
1: <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, isn't it?
0: I know. Birds are so strange. Well, uh, before we get wrapped up for today, I did want to give you um the, just the floor to talk about if there's anything that you are working on right now that you want people to know about. Definitely tell us more about your podcast, The Science of Birds, um, where people can find you like on social media or on the internet, anything like that. Just stuff you want people to know as they're coming away from this.
1: Sure. Thanks, Ellen. Uh, yeah. Well, first of all, this was super fun. Thanks so much for inviting me on. It's really nice to just have this kind of fun, casual chat. The science of birds, my podcast is, it's a different format. You know, um, it's just me. I actually write a script for every episode, um, which, you know, is pretty time consuming, but it, it, I really like doing it that way. Um, so this is kind of a breath of fresh air for me. It's just so so much easier, (laughs) but, uh, but you know so if you're interested in birds i do invite you to check out uh, the science of birds you can go to scienceofbirds.com uh, you can listen to the episodes directly on the website there if you'd like or of course you could find the episodes um you know on any of your major podcasting apps like um, apple podcasts google podcasts spotify all, all of the things you know i try i try to put an episode out, out about every 2 weeks and I usually alternate between talking about a particular bird family. Like, for example, I might talk about the loons, in which case I would talk about the five species of loons and about all their characteristics. And then I sometimes talk about things like a particular conservation topic or a topic in bird evolution or something like that. So, um, yeah, it's, I have a, you know, a million ideas and, uh, it's, it's a total blast. People seem to be into it and I I would love it for uh, your listeners to. You know, if you're interested in birds, check it out. And sometimes people people who aren't even that into birds enjoy it because it's just again, it's it's just biology. You know, if you're just into mm-hmm. natural history, biology kind of gets you into that. And I make jokes, and they're absolutely hilarious. <laughs> so uh, if you like that sort of thing, yeah, at least I think so.
0: For sure, yeah. I actually cut on the other day. Um, I was driving my kids to school, and I cut on the Roadrunner episode. And you know, my my bouncy little kid was was pretty into it. You know, was was definitely vibing with Roadrunners. Nice. Great listen with kids, you know, with with kids in the car. I know this show's family friendly. Your show's family friendly. There you go. Like you're in the car listening with kids. Your kids can't get enough about birds. Cut on the science of birds. They'll love it.
1: Yeah, you know it's funny because I, I, uh, you know, I do keep it clean and all that, but I, I kind of I'm targeting an adult audience, but I've gotten mm-hmm. feedback from families that are like, yeah, my seven year old like totally loves your show. And I'm like, oh well, okay, cool.
0: Yeah, don't don't discount, you know, like kids that are like really interested in nature and really interested in animals and interested in natural history, like don't discount what they can understand, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, right. It's, right, It's funny, you get a kid, especially a kid who is like hyper focused on that subject. And, you know, my kid is constantly giving me brand new information I've never heard about the things he's interested in, you know, so it's like... That's so cool. But yeah, you know, a nice laid back vibe. very easy to understand if you're not from like an academic background like me, you know, easy to keep up with. doesn't feel like the sort of thing where you're like, oh, no, my head hurts because this is too much.
1: (laughs) Right, right.
0: So yeah, cue up the science of birds and get a more more in-depth look, I guess, into what's going on with our living dinosaur friends.
1: Yeah, exactly. Thanks, Ellen. Yeah, that's kind of the idea is to go a little deeper, you know, maybe than the the usual surface stuff you know so i think people who who want to dig deeper it's it's for them yeah
0: absolutely for sure well i can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing your knowledge about loons and birds and all sorts of stuff today this has been like you said has been so much fun i'm so glad that i got to chat with you today and we will talk to you later thank you so much ivan
1: thank you ellen it was a total blast and yeah thanks a lot appreciate the invitation cheers
0: of course thank you bye 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 I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. I know I definitely learned a lot about not just loons, but birds in general, and I hope that you did too. If you liked what you heard today, it would mean a lot to us if you left us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or maybe Podchaser. You can also connect with us on social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and we even have a Discord server, so feel free to come hang out with us on there. I did promise a sneak peek at next week's episode, so here it is. Next week on Just the Zoo of Us, Christian will be digging into a Mexican reptile disguised as a worm, and I will be reviewing an Australian egg-laying pincushion. We'd like to thank Louis Zong for allowing us to use his track Adventuring off of his album B-Sides as our theme music. That's all for today. See you next week. Thanks. Bye.